The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? and we are back and we are live on youtube for those of you that don't watch us on youtube you're missing out because we do a full-blown intro with people that are watching live we answer questions we do all that fun stuff and we're going to do that after the podcast as well after the podcast is over if you're just a Listener, you can't get in on that. So, uh, or just an audio listener, not a video watcher and listener. Um, but the way we're going to start this podcast, this podcast is going to be five ways to make your hunting filming better. But the way that we're going to start it is we're going to start it with a question that we got the other day that was from our buddy Tony, who is 330 with a bow on uh, Instagram. And um, he wanted to, he gave us a podcast topic, but honestly, I can't make a whole podcast out of this. So what we're going to do is before we start the main podcast, we are going to answer this question, or I'm going to try and answer this question to the best of my ability um, before we get into the meat of the podcast. So while we answer this question, you know, if you're on the YouTube live, if you have any questions, answer it, and we'll answer those at the end of the podcast, and then we'll do a little live Q&A afterwards if anybody's still stuck around. But... um Anyway, so he sent a question in the other day, and it said, I'm going on my first outfitter. I'm going to my first outfitter in Indiana at the beginning of November. Kind of what to expect from a hunter side and a camera guy side. I know it sounds stupid, but for guys that have never been, I'm a little nervous for some reason. Okay, so it sounds like he's going on his first outfitted hunt. And uh, I've had wonderful things happen from outfitters, and I've had one or two horrible, you know, terrible atrocious things um you know the, the the best advice i can give you as far as going on an outfitted hunt in terms of just you know on the surface and in general is you need to first of all you need to get references from people that have hunted there before get but make sure you get references from people that have been there and been successful and people that have been there and not been successful because if you get good reviews from people that were not successful you're probably going to have a good time and you're going to have a uh, a good hunt. Um, just rem- remember to uh, do your research. Make sure that you're going there with the intentions of having a good time and not making sure you're going to kill something. Because I've been to a lot of outfit, a lot of outfitters filming and hunting, and not kill anything. It happens. It's part of life. It's why it's called hunting and not killing. But in terms of what you should ask for on um, the hunter side and the cameraman side. Make sure they know you're filming. Make sure they understand that. Find out what you might need to bring in terms of extra stands, um, extra ground blind, trail cameras, things of that nature that they probably aren't going to provide for you. You know, if they'll hang them before you get there, great. If not, you're just going to have to take the extra time before daylight and after dark to hang those stands and make sure you have all the places set for when you get there. Uh, there's... I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, You're kind of at their mercy. Uh, You know, make sure they're comfortable with you filming. Um, Ask if there's things that are off limits. Make sure they're okay with, you know, saying location names, road names, you know, cities, states, you know, all that good stuff. Because some people are really weird about not wanting people to know where they are. Um, I, I would even go as far as... You know, just to protect yourself, get releases. There's several places online you can find a release to sign off and get location permission, get people permission. You know, don't film kids because people get really weird about putting kids on camera when they're not, you know, when they don't have permission. Um, Just make sure you cover your butt in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, And as far as the hunt itself, just, man, just the goal always needs to be making sure you're one of the guys that people want to be around. Don't be in people's face. Um, don't be a, you know, don't be an eyesore or a nuisance. Uh, try and be as low key as you possibly can be. Um, 
and under-promise and over-deliver. If you're working out a deal to where you're trading out services, make sure you fulfill your end of the bargain. Uh, there's been a lot of people that uh, have not held up their end of the bargain. But um, hold on a second. There's been a lot of people that haven't heard heard their held up their end of the bargain, and it's given a lot of uh, it's put a really bad taste in a lot of outfitters' mouths in terms of camera guys. So just remember that going in. Um, sorry, I've got a, a client that is asking me questions, and you guys know how I am about communication. I'm not going to let them wait until the end of the podcast. I'm going to answer them right now. So anyway, um, I hope I answered that. I mean, I hope I answered that question. I mean, I would say the only other thing is just to make sure they know that you're planning on filming it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and and seeing be. if they have setups specifically for that, or if they can make setups specifically for that, and that way at least they know going into it kind of what what you're looking to do, especially if you're going to have, um, you know, two people out there. If it's going to be you and a and a hunter, <clears throat> it's always good to kind of let them know that they're going to have to have two people to get into into the blind or into the tree or here, there, or wherever. Yeah. So. And, I mean, I would say the amount of people that film now is a lot. Uh, so, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture to guess that there's many outfitters out there that haven't dealt with some sort of filming in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, uh, they probably understand what you're trying to do, you know, make sure they're, you know, they know where it's going to go, you know, make sure you send them a link to things when it's done. Just be a good person. It's really easy. It's not that hard. Um, that's really the only, uh, it's really the only notes that I can give. I mean, as far as hunting without fitters, hunting without fitters can be great and it can be awful, man. I've had some, Awful experiences with outfitters that are just complete buttholes, man. That completely lie to you. All they do is want your money and want you out of there. They don't want you to kill anything. They just want you to give your their money. I mean, and that is, I mean, it couldn't be any truer in the sense of the word of just completely screwing people. Uh, we had one in Ohio that's particularly bad. Um, I can't tell that story on this podcast because this podcast, some kids listen to this. But uh, it's a, it was a real bad deal. Whitetail Outfitters of Ohio. This guy's name is Ty McComb. If you know him, I'm sorry. Guy's a piece of crap. Um. Anyway, so on to the podcast. So five things that will make your hunting filming better. We've done a couple of these theme podcasts here recently. Just some things that we wanted to talk about that Ryer and I have started. We're doing a television project, a big 13-episode television project that several different producers have filmed. Ryer filmed some of them, I filmed some of them, and two or three other producers have filmed some of them. And we are now in the process of editing those shows, some of which we filmed, some of which we didn't film. And um, and this is a very universal theme of these things can make your filming better because we're ending up watching and editing stuff that was handed to us that we had no control over that there's a lot of things lacking and that has really frustrated us in the last two weeks of editing to where there's things that the producers are doing that are making our job harder on the editing side. And it's, and it's making the shows not as good as they could be. Um, and I don't want to get into sp- the specifics just yet. I kind of want to make sure we kind of go piece by piece by piece on the, on the bullet points on this. But, I mean, you were sitting in there today editing mm-hmm. the same. So I'm, we've got two Texas shows. There's a Texas one and a Texas two. I edited Texas one. You're editing Texas two. And the same producer shot all of mine and part of yours. So you're getting, you're running into the, some of the same walls that I ran into mm-hmm. to where there's just, there's things that aren't being done that are really, really easy things that would make the filming or the production and the edit so much better. So I kind of wanted to go over some of these simple things, and I know we've probably talked about these a thousand times, but I'm hoping when new people come in and they hear these things, 
they'll look them up and they'll listen to old podcasts and they'll start putting things together. But, you know, the the number one thing, I wouldn't say that it's the number one thing. It's one of the things that I'm noticing that we're never getting from someone else other than us is establishing shots. Um, and we've talked about establishing shots before, and they're super easy to get. They can they can be really dynamic. They can be super, super cinematic. There's a hundred different ways to get them. Or they can literally be as simple as walking out in the yard and shooting a big shot of the house that you're staying in or the lodge that you're staying out of the camper or the camp, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and that's really all it is is a shot that establishes where you are in a time of day. Lots of times people get established shots early in the morning or virtually in the dark using the lights of the house, lights of the lodge, campfire light, whatever. That establishes a time of day and a location. That that shot tells me, that that gives me a ton of information as a viewer and as an editor. It helps me transition. Establishing shots can be used for so many different things. Uh, it helps me transition from days to nights. It helps me transition from one day to the next day. It helps me transition from the field to the camp. It helps me transition from camp to the field. It does so much from one simple shot of walking 50 yards away, putting your camera on your shoulder, and getting a big wide shot of your camp or your house or your lodge or your truck or your camper or your tent. doesn't matter. Um, I'm not getting those. I'm not seeing any of them. I had to go back to footage from two years ago to get those shots. The producer two years ago got it, got every one of them, every location, every place, everything. He got it. Luckily, they're at the same outfitter, not going to use the same shots. But, I mean, how do you go about it? Is it just one of those things to where when you see a new location, you just automatically walk out there and get it? Yeah, I mean, I I think I just kind of I. I I see establishing shots in a few different ways because not only do you want to establish a location, like you said, you want to establish the time of day or the conditions. So to me, I may get three different establishing shots in one sit. Like a lot of times I will, when I first get to a spot, uh, depending on the light and stuff like that, as soon as it starts getting light enough, for me to start making out things in the camera, I'll get some establishing shots. Because to me, I mean, you never know when the animal's going to come in and when that is going to take place. And that early, early morning light is always the hardest to recreate. So I always get uh, just an establishing shot as soon as I can start seeing things. So that way... you're You're talking about establishing shots in the field on the hunt. I haven't even talked about that yet. Oh, but okay. no, you're good. Go into that. I mean, it's same. I mean, it's establishing. You're shots talking is, about location. I'm talking so about we locations. get to the outfitter. Yeah. yeah, or we get to the camp. I'm talking about locations like the actual camp. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you roll up, you just look there, and I mean, sometimes it's stopping the vehicle and saying, "Hey, let me get out. Let me get you driving into this, into uh, the parking lot, or into the." into the driveway or let me get you walking in and then, you know, getting a nice wide shot outside or, um, get it with him without someone walking in. Yeah. Or, you know, get a low angle, get a wide angle, get a pan down, get a pan over. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, I usually get one static and then I try to have one moving in some way because that's just sometimes more interesting that way. Yeah, I like moving. Um, unless there's things moving, like if it's, if it's windy or there's a flag moving or there's something driving into there, sometimes a stable shot is cool. But just my style, I like to have some kind of movement in the shot. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you get that real quick. Or maybe you don't get that and you have to go back and get it. You know, maybe you roll up, your host jumps out of the truck, and you go, oh, crap, got to follow him in now. So... You go do all that stuff, and you follow him in. He says hi to everybody and does that whole that whole thing. And then afterwards, you go, okay, now i got to establish this place. So you get those shots of the location. And then you go and you get less specific shots, but things that kind of tell, tell somebody where you're at in a non 
it's not tied to like a building, right? So like if you're in Arizona, you get shots of cactus. If yeah. you're in Texas, you get shots of a cactus. Also cactus, just different cactus. If you're in Missouri, you get shots of hardwood trees. You get shots of yeah. creek bottoms. You get you know things that that lock you into a location, but also help you and tell you the time of year and yeah. tell you yeah. if it's if it's snowing, get some snow on the ground. If it's raining, get some rain going. If it's uh, hot, get something that makes it look like it's hot. I mean, get it so where you can see the sun yep. and it just looks hot and dry or if it's cold, you know, just trying to make it, trying to give people an idea you're of exactly where you're in. at. You're trying to suck people in. Without, like, you almost want to take, whenever you start telling somebody a story of something, you know, you'd be like, hey, we rolled up to, uh, well, you know, that's that's hosty talk right there. So <laughs> if I was going to tell, that's host. that's how host talk uh, if I was going to tell Caleb what I did uh, on a turkey hunt, I would say, uh, "See, I feel like I need to talk like a host right now because <laughs> I just I've got that it, I've got that in my head right now." Uh, I would say that me and Brian we drove so we drove from my house in Georgia and we drove out to Missouri and we got to the camp and. Uh, that's really bad. I did a bad job of that. Basically, <laughs> basically, what you want to do is think of like if I was going to tell somebody and really try to make a good story out of this, what you would tell them, and try to get try to get shots that yeah tell that story without you having to like yeah, actually we, say it. We left Georgia. We drove to Missouri, and when we got to camp, I you know we talked to the outfitter. After we got done talking to the outfitter, we got our gear unloaded and we went straight to the field. Well, I need footage to support everything I just said. And then I need to get shots of the outside. I need to get shots mm-hmm. of pulling up, shaking hands to the outfitter, the weather, the time of year. We know we're turkey hunting. We want to see green and leaves and fields yeah. and driving shots and all of the things. We need those things. I guess I did a bad job of that because I think that sometimes when you just like regularly tell somebody a story, yeah. usually they don't care. They're like, well, so when did you see the turkeys? Yeah. And then- yeah. <laughs> that's where you start the story. Yeah. But videos, you start. Beginning, middle, end. Begin, you start from zero. Um, so, yeah, that's just what I always think of. And I always like to not not only an establishing shot, I like to get a bookend shot, which is another establishing shot. And you, depending on how much time has passed between the start of the scene and the end of the scene, um, they could be literally, they could look basically the same. But I want a shot that, when you get to when you start a scene or you get somewhere, that's your establishing shot, and that gets you into the scene. And then, when you are about to get out of the scene, you want to pull somebody out of wherever you just had them, wherever you were just showing them, and then basically give it like a little break, so then you can go to the next one. Um, so for me, sometimes that's like if we're eating dinner or something, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to end the dinner scene sometimes. So then I walk out of the house and I get a wide shot of the house in the dark with the lights on and everybody eating dinner. Or, and then that's your end yeah. shot. Or And then you pan up and maybe it's black. Maybe you pan over. Maybe you just get a shot of people from the outside eating. But yep. that way you're creating just, you're pulling somebody out of the scene they were just in. So then you can do another establishing shot for the next scene and put them into the next scene that you're and going into. And all that subconscious. All that has been ingrained in us from media and content and movies for a thousand years. Subconsciously, that takes us out of the scene. Subconsciously, that puts us in a scene. That puts us in a location. Puts us in a time of year and a frame of mind. Establishing shots are super, super easy. Anything that you watch, I guarantee you, has establishing shots. They're super easy to get. Take the time to get them. Well, and those are the shots, too, that you're going to underlay that talking in yep. when, when you you got that establishing shot and then you've got the host talking about where they're at, you know, you underlay that and now you bring people in and then, you know, your music starts there and you go through the scene and then you've got that ending shot that, I don't know, what do you call it, a bookend shot and that's where, you know, maybe they talk and then you put that over it and they're still talking and it's showing it and then your music fades out and then it's still that shot and then now it's that subconscious cue that, okay, this scene is done, We're we're letting the viewer rest a little bit and then, they're ready to go into the next scene. It's the ebb and flow of an edit, the roller coaster ride, mm-hmm. speed up and the slow down. Um, and then when you talk about establishing shots, 
in the field. The first thing that I get, kind of like what Robert was saying, he was alluding to earlier, when I get in a tree stand, when I get in a ground blind, when I get in a setup, the first thing or something that I always get is a, just a big wide pan of what we're sitting there looking at. What the hunter's seeing, what the camera's seeing, you know, just a big panning shot of the location. Um, and that establishes where we are, what it looks like, where the animals are going to come from, what the scene looks like. I'm setting the stage for the viewer. Um, and I'm putting you in the place. And then it's the same thing to end the scene. You kind of bookend it with a couple of different things. You can bookend it with a closing interview. You can bookend it with um, the music. Sometimes the music will bookend it for you. Um, but it's, there's, it is something that's so simple. And I even showed you guys, if you've watched the Instagram, we've got a tutorial on how to get super smooth pans. It's really, really, really difficult. Um, no, it's not super easy, but, uh, anyway, that's the, that's the establishing shot and that's the importance of the establishing shot. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is, I think just to add to that real quick before we move on, uh, what I was saying earlier is I want to get an establishing shot for almost any, any new situation that happens. Yeah. So like I said, there could be four separate things that happen in the blind that I want to get establishing shots of. So when we first get there, I want to get some because just in case the deer or whatever we're hunting comes in really low light, I have stuff. Then whenever we start to get good light and the scene starts changing, I want to get an establishing shot of that. So maybe if I want to pick up right there in the edit, I can. And then when animals start coming in, you know, I like to have a wide shot of, the whole scene with the animals coming in and then you work into your tights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it starts raining, if it starts snowing, if the wind starts blowing really hard, if you have to do this or that or the other, uh, every single time something happens, something that would be something that you would want to tell in the edit, uh, you want an establishing shot, something to show what that is that's happening. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can you can break it down to like when you park the ranger, you know, to go hunting, you can back way out and get an establishing shot of parking the ranger. I mean, it, I mean, you can get an establishing shot of virtually everything. You can start and end a scene with establishing shots every single time if you wanted to. Now, does yeah. it get monotonous? It get old? Yeah. But uh, that that is definitely possible. All right, so the next thing is talking in the field. And I know y'all love when we talk about this because I harp on this one a lot. So I'm going to break this one down even simpler. Most of you or most of viewers or, I mean, most of content is not getting a good job of people talking in the field. The easiest way to do that is every chance you get, ask the question who, what, when, where, why, and whether. Now, I've harped on that one enough. I'm not going to go into detail with that. Now what I'm talking about is how and why we shoot, how we shoot talking in the field. You don't shoot talking in the field medium all the time. Ryan and I have been dealing with this on an edit where everything that we're getting of our host looks exactly the same. Everything is like belly button to the top of the head. Everything looks the same. Absolutely none of the talking is produced well. It's not shot very dynamically. It is, it's lazy. Um, how do you shoot talking dynamically? Like, what are some things that you do to make talking a little more creative? I know the one tip that I have used that you told me a little while ago is move. Yeah. So when somebody is talking, I kind of. I just kind of do like that with the camera. Little, if you're listening, you little, can't, little sway you can't see, but I just kind of sway back and forth. I try to keep yeah. them in generally the same place in the frame, but I'm just moving the camera just a little bit. It's a I'm kind of flowing movement. with well, you them. Think about, think about me talking to you right now. Am I like holding onto the chair and like trying not to move as I'm talking? You shouldn't. Like, don't. Yeah, like that's awkward. <laughs> that looks weird. Yeah, it is. And it's the same thing as a <laughs> It's the same thing as a viewer. If you're used to talking to somebody and you, your eyes have a natural movement, your head has a natural movement, your body has a natural movement, so does your camera work. Um, a lot of times, and big productions, they add movement to cameras. 
they'll actually go in and add camera shake to make it feel more natural. And that's the way your eyes work. Our eyes work in around 24 frames a second is what scientists say. And we're used to movement. We're used to seeing motion blur. We're used to seeing what our eyes and our brain are accustomed to seeing. So don't, mm-hmm. don't lock your camera down all the time. Now, there's a, there's, there are times when you need to lock down. There are situations for that. But when we're shooting B-roll, when we're shooting cutaways, when we're shooting talking, when we're shooting, I don't know, 90% of what we're shooting, it's going to have some sort of movement. It's either going to have really smooth motion or it's going to have a natural sway or shake of the camera. I like to shoot a lot more stuff than I used to handheld. I try and keep things off a tripod um, unless it's interviews or hunts. I like I like having kill shots and hunts on tripods and camera arms just because I want those to be nice and smooth. And I don't want to react to the shot, which I don't I don't react to the shot. I know a lot of producers that react to the shot really bad. Um, I'm one of those guys that can have a rifle go off right next to me and I, I won't flinch. But I know a lot of people that come out of their shoes, so it's really important to have a tripod for things like that or a camera arm. But when you're shooting cutaways, when you're shooting B-roll, don't don't stick your camera on a tripod and get the shooting that way or get the talking that way. When you're shooting your cutaways, there's it's okay to be on a tripod, but don't be afraid to add movement, add slow pushes, slow turns. And these need to be slow and subtle. I mean, it's not like this isn't your pan. I mean, these things are super, super subtle and gentle and cinematic, and and they're just going to add that little bit that's going to suck your viewer in or make them feel more comfortable. Like when I was watching these these shots of the host and every one of them were framed like this. If you're if you're not you're not watching on YouTube, I'm literally the top of my head, my belly button. Everything was framed like that, locked down on the tripod. And you can literally go in the clips and you could put them in the preview mode where you could see the thumbnails and every clip would look the same. He never changed his angle. He never pushed in. He never backed up wide. A lot of times when I'm shooting shoot shooting talking, I'm like it, I'm shooting here and then I'll have a second angle that's wide or sometimes like Ryer will even shoot it twice. Like explain to me how you do it twice. So I have two separate methods here. And it kind of depends on how much time. This is shooting talking. Yeah, and it depends on how much time and what we're doing. But, oh, there's three methods. (laughs) If I have to be locked down on a tripod, usually that means we're set somewhere, and I will have a GoPro, Yeah. and we'll have two angles. So I'll have my wide, and then I'll have my camera, and that'll be close. So we got two angles. So even if I can't move, even if I can't really put that dynamic movement in there, because uh, that kind of that flowy movement is hard to do on a tripod. At least I've got two angles, and I can cut back and forth. Uh, and then you've got B-roll, what you put in there. Um, You're supposed to have B-roll. So we'll then, talk about that in a minute. So then uh, the second, I'll talk about what you wanted me to talk about, um, <laughs> is I will, shoot the, I will shoot the interviews twice. And this is something that I learned from, this is probably one of the first things I learned on the job. Uh I guess I could call this the Larry Jones trick. Larry <laughs> D. Jones, he's a legend, um, and he taught me this one. And it, it is basically, so we'll go through, and we'll do the interview, and I'll be handheld, and I'll ask all the questions, go, So you know, we can walk who, through it. So, we'll, so, so I'll do it. I'll be your subject. So you're filming, and you'll film something kind of medium-wide. Yeah, so I'll ask you, okay, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Where are we? What are we doing? Yeah. Who, what, when, where, why, and yeah. whether? All the big so, W's. So we're and I'm filmed. Probably I don't really do a whole ton yeah. here. I kind of like the bottom of the chest to the top of the head. Yeah, me too. Um, and so we'll go through all of those things. So I'll give just you, like I'll, that. I'll give you that. So we're in uh, Copeland Creative Studio, and I'm moving. We're in, yeah, we're in Copeland Creative this is Studio. My we're episode. We're recording Should I do episode the camera like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to be talking when I'm talking. Uh, so. We're in Copeland Creative Studio, and we are producing episode 95 of the podcast here in Dahlonega, Georgia. It is a beautiful day outside. It's a little hot. I don't like the hot. Just heard a bird chirp, and we are live on YouTube at the moment. So you just shot that. Like I just this. shot that wide. Now what I'll do is go, okay, we're going to do it again. Now I punch in. To real time. Now I'm going to be face, only the face. And you're going to move your angle. And, 
Yeah, I'll I'll kind of shift around. It just depends on what I'm able to do. And what you're trying to do is and, trying to make it look like there's two cameramen. Yeah, and then I'll say, hey, say generally say the same thing that you just said. Mm-hmm. Usually people are like, oh, man, I can't remember. I said just hit the big points. Mm-hmm. Just hit the big points. Tell me where we're at, this, that, and the other. Most of the time, people can do it. Sometimes you got to walk them through. Yeah. But basically what I'm doing now is you go through all the same things again. My angle is different. And what I then can do in editing is I take both those things and I, cut them I intercut them together. It's a little bit more work. Uh, sometimes they don't line up correctly. Sometimes they don't match because the people say this, that, or the other. Uh, but if you get both of them, then you you have a different angle that you can cut to. You're basically faking two cameras, it's a like budget, you said. It's a budget two-man production. Yeah, and it just takes... A little extra time. Twice as much time. Yeah. And so... Um, that's when I know that I have the time to do that. Yep. And I like to do that a lot. Uh, you'll see me do that a lot and you'll notice it in the edits if you, if you see that. Uh, and then the next thing that I do, and this is the quick and dirty on the run one is I, I, if you watched through any of my interviews with people, you'll see that I'm constantly doing this with the zoom. I punch in as soon as somebody says, as soon as somebody kind of starts to end their sentence and I find a pause, I punch in pull focus. And so then their next thought, the next phrase is going to be closer Then when they finish that one. I pull out, pull focus. And then their next phrase is wide punch in, pull focus, punch out, pull focus. And I do that the whole time they're talking. Now it's a little bit, uh, I've got myself in trouble doing that. Because sometimes you'll punch in or pull out when uh, they talk. So you'll punch in or pull out on a word, and you get to the edit, and you're like, gosh, darn it, I really want that. And so sometimes you might have to live with a punch in or a pull out, which or, or before. Or lots of B-roll. Yeah, so you either cover that with B-roll or you just leave it in the edit, and I've done that, and I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it either. Um, but that's a really easy way to be getting a – very dynamic talking segment. And you'll see you'll see on like big budget um documentaries people are doing that. That's what the camera guys are doing. That's what the Blue, producers are doing. Bluestone. They're just punch in, punch out, punch in, punch out, re reframe this, reframe that. Um that's what she said. I knew somebody was gonna come in. as soon as I said that. I, I as soon as it. I said it, I was like I almost said it. We won't do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you won't. You won't bait me into that. I'm smarter than that. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm always punching in, punching out. And then the other thing that I've liked to do now, uh, and this is harder, and that's trying to tie an establishing shot to an interview. And that's where, or maybe not an establishing shot, but just a shot to where uh, maybe there's a cool sky or a cool mountain vista and you can frame that up nice and then you have your subject standing there and you pan down to them and as you're panning down they start talking and i've done that a few times and i like how that works um panning from their hands up to their face as they're talking or having them doing something and then while they're doing it talking to you and then they move into the interview so it doesn't seem like it makes it seem a little bit more natural because that's generally how you talk to people. Usually when you're talking to people, you're not like doing something and then you go, well, Caleb, <laughs> I was just typing on my computer. Yeah, that's all. You would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just type. I'm just writing this message to, uh, to, I was trying, I'm writing this message to somebody right now. And then, okay, now we're in the conversation. Yeah. But you were doing something, you started talking, and then you refocused and now you're talking to somebody else. And so I like to try to get that. It's tough sometimes and it I would say a third of the time it works out. Yeah. Well, moral of the story is don't be lazy when you're shooting talking. First of all, get the talking. I'd rather you get the talking and it be boring than not get the talking. Second of all, when you're getting the talking, try not to make it boring. Ryer just went over three really, really easy ways to make it not boring. And I think also sorry, I didn't go mean no, to. go ahead. Um, I think also if you get the B-roll, you can mess around with that stuff. Yeah, we're getting there. You're getting ahead of us. Uh, we're getting ahead of. Don't don't talk. Well, about I'm just B-roll saying yet. because 
Two of those methods that I just talked about right there, you will mess it up and you will need to cover it with B-roll. Yeah. 100%. You're going to screw it up, and you're going to get to the edit, and you're going to be like, um, yeah, so that sucked. Uh, I don't. That was bad. That didn't work out. The timing was bad. I don't like how this went. I punched in there. I need to cover this. I don't like it. So perfect to cover this. So we're just going to we're gonna skip around. Um, <laughs> we're going to skip around to now B-roll. Storol of the Mori, Ethan Tyne. <laughs> did you say that? No, uh, did you I? You must have. Maybe I did. Yeah, um, we can't catch a break now. Yeah, Everything no we say. So anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go out of order. But the next one we're gonna talk about is B roll. Um, a lot of times in the edits, especially the edits we're working on right now, we do not have enough. All right, B roll. There should never be a shortage of B roll. And B roll is another thing that's just like talking that can be boring if you just shoot static shots. B-roll needs movement. B-roll needs pans. B-roll needs rack focus. B-roll needs lots of it. And as much talking as you get, you've got to have as much B-roll to cover up that talking, to fix edits, to hide ums and ahs, to cut out whole sections of talking that you don't want. B-roll is something that I just don't see how it can get overlooked, especially when you're on a hunting trip and you're sitting in a tree stand or a ground blind for hours on end how you're not getting the B-roll, but the shows that we're working on right now, we don't have the B-roll to support. There's talking, there's no B-roll. There's there's shots of animals, there's medium shots of the of the hunter, and that is it. We might get two or three shots of B-roll per hunt. And I'm getting, on average, 20 to 30 on a hunt. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. So when we say B-roll, what do we mean? Okay, to define that, to dumb it down even more. So we're going to go back to what I said. We're here at Copeland Creative. We're at recording episode 95 of the podcast. We're talking about five ways to make your hunting filming better. It's a beautiful day here in Dahlonega, Georgia, and we are live on YouTube right now. That's the interview that you just filmed. Okay, what B-roll? With, with both my fake camera angles. both your fake camera angles. So now what B-roll do you need? Well... Uh, he said that... Be specific. Be specific about every piece of B-roll I would get? Well, be specific on how you would shoot it and what you would shoot and why you would shoot it. Okay, so the first thing I would do is I would get a wide shot of the office from the outside because we're inside the office. And so I know that in the edit, probably what I'll have happen is I will show that wide shot of the office. It's a little windy outside today, so that, that works out nicely because I could just get a nice, nice shot of outside the office. And right when Caleb starts talking uh, about what we're doing, I put that under that shot of the office, and then I cut that, and okay, now maybe we're in the office. Um, And then what I would probably do is, uh, he also said it was a nice day outside, so we're we're doing this retroactively. I probably would have got a shot of the office before we came in here to do this. True story, true story. since we're doing it retroactively, I'm outside, I got a shot of the office. I'm probably going to get four shots of the office. I'm going to get a <laughs> wide shot of the office. I'm going to get a shot. We've got a Copeland Creative sign out there. I'm going to sh- get a shot of that. It's going to yep. be dynamic. I'm going to be moving. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And you're not going to shoot it straight on. Right. You, you very I might pull focus yeah. through the sign. I might yeah. get off to the side of the sign. I might uh, pan d- There's some clouds outside, so I might pan down from the clouds to the office. I might get Caleb's truck is sitting out there, so maybe I'll get the truck. I'll get probably... You know, I get a lot more than Caleb. Caleb probably is out there. He probably gets three shots, and he's like, boom, 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 yeah. done. I'll get ten, yeah, uh, and I'll throw most this of them away. This is so true, yeah. But I'll get all those shots. Then maybe I will. I should, maybe I should have done this version. Maybe you should have done the talking, and I should have shot the B-roll. <laughs> you wanted me to do it. Go for it. You won't have a shortage of it if I, I do it. You see I'm laid back in my chair waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like... He's about to take a nap. Yeah, mm. just let me know when you're done shooting this 15-second scene. <laughs> you said we're bored in a tree. I ain't got nothing to do. Yeah, true story. So then when I get done, he also said it's a beautiful day, so I'm going to get the shots of a beautiful day. That's going to be your sky. That's going to be maybe some close-ups of trees. That's going to be, I don't know, maybe we do a time lapse. Maybe we, I go and I keep that in mind, and when we're out in the field doing something, I get a nice pretty shot of some flowers because – Flowers make it seem like it's a nice day. I don't know. I get all of those things. I come inside. Now what I'm going to do 
is I'm probably going to get a wide shot of this whole setup, what we've yep. got going on now. Then I'll probably get a tight shot of the camera. I'll get a tight shot of the board. I mean, there's little uh, sound things moving right here. I'll get a tight shot of that. Um, I'll get a tight shot of this coffee because probably we're sponsored by them. So <laughs> we probably need that. I wish. Uh, I know. This is good stuff. It's espresso with cream. El creme. I don't know if that's how you say that, but whatever. Um, I'll get a shot. I'll get a shot of that. Maybe I'll get a shot of the watch to show time of day. Uh, he's laid back right now, so I'll get some shots of how he's laid back. Um, and, and then the way, I'll and get... The, and the way that you're shooting these shots, to keep, to dive even deeper, we're not just getting, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, we're not just getting a shot, a shot, a shot, a shot. You know, we're probably going to push to the end of our lens. We're going to pull focus to where just the focus is on this number, and then we can roll focus into these levels. Mm-hmm. We're going to shoot at the end of our lens to get black rifle. That way everything behind it and in front of it is blurred. We're going to shoot things off to the side from underneath, from above, from all the way around. You very rarely, I'm trying to think of a situation where I would shoot something straight on. I don't know of a situation where I'd shoot something straight on. Do you? What do you mean by straight on? Like straight on. Like everything squared up to one another. I mean, virtually everything you do is at an angle. One way, shape, or form. Yeah, you're trying to get a nice Even flow. in interviews, you might be shooting square on, but your subject is turned and off to the side. So nothing is ever straight on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, even when you shoot, like today when we shot interviews, instead of setting Chuck up 90 degrees to the camera, we had him go 45 so that he was facing, I I can't, I don't know how to we do left, this. We put him on the left frame so he was looking into the was, right side I of the frame. I was trying to do it to like how it, I mean, like how I'm sat right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sat like you can't if you're listening, you can't see this, but this this looks weird if I was to sit like this, kind of this would be ninety degrees yeah. to the camera, and it just looks kind of odd, so yeah, you turn like this, I'm forty five degrees and it looks better, so we're so you, technically it's not straight on, so you're working angles all the time, so you're never when you're shooting b roll and b roll takes time, it's not something you can blow through now somebody like Ryer and I that are super comfortable with our camera that shot thousands and thousands of b-roll shots we can blow through b-roll pretty quick but you need to take time and make these things dynamic you know you try and make them these this is what sets your production apart is really good b-roll and having that b-roll so he went through all those b-roll shots and he's going to have 57 shots for 15 seconds and what's what's he going to do he's going to go through and he's going to pick the best of the best that works the best in the time frame that he needs to hide the edits Say I talk for five minutes and he gets B-roll to support it, but he only needs 30 seconds of what I said. Well, how's he going to do that? Instead of make, making a bunch of jump cuts and talking, he's got B-roll to cover all those shots. So it looks looks and sounds like I said this perfectly concise, seamless um, you know, piece of dialogue. Where in reality, it was a five-minute ramble that he made me look really good, but he had B-roll to support that. One of two things is going to happen. You got to have the B-roll, or you got to be shooting on a second camera. You can make somebody look like a rock star if you've got two cameras on them. Or you pull that old 115, that old 115 trick. 115. Yeah, that that uh that old scale, the 115 scale, that bump in. Oh yeah, well, you can do that once or twice, but you don't want to do that too much. But yeah, so get the B-roll. Don't be lazy. You have the time to do it. And anytime there's downtime, you need to be shooting B-roll. Like I remember when we we're on bow fishing trips. And there's downtime. What am I shooting? I'm shooting products. I'm shooting the end of their arrow. I'm shooting their hands, their eyes, their gloves, um, their feet on the deck, the the boat, the logos. Anytime there's downtime, that's what you're getting is things to support what you're doing and to get you from one place to the other. You need B-roll clips. If you want to edit to beats, if you want to edit a fast-paced edit, you need lots and lots and lots of B-roll. The other thing with B-roll, too, is I like to get a lot. Of, that's where you really have an opportunity to be creative and try the different stuff and screw up the shots, but also get some of those shots that are cool and just maybe they take a couple tries or it just takes doing something out of the box. And that's, I think, where getting dynamic is is really fun because instead of me just getting – uh getting a shot of just a static shot of those bars moving, I might 
I might move this, right? Because now we're sitting here with nothing to do and I'm just filming. I might move this can and really punch in and blur out these bars. And instead of just getting a shot of this can, I will get a shot and then I'll pull focus over to those bars. Or maybe I will, uh, like, see how Caleb's texting right here? Instead of just getting a shot of his hands texting, I'm going to punch in to his hands while they're texting and move my camera. I'm just handheld. I'm going to move my camera up to his eyes. And so now I've got, I've basically chained two B-roll shots together, but it's dynamic because you're connecting Caleb to what he's doing right there. Or I would uh, pan from, if it's a nice, it doesn't really work in here because it, there's not like a really cool nature scenery thing to do, but panning from uh, something out in the location to your hunter or pulling focus from the location back to your hunter or going from the end of their barrel up to their eyes or from their hands to their eyes or, you know, just putting camera movement, moving the camera, connecting different things to the scene, the hunter to the scene, the hunter to their weapon, the weapon to the scene, connecting all these things together and moving your camera and basically taking the, that viewer's eyes and just showing them everything. And, and, and it's not just this, 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 because that's not how you look at things. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at things, you go over here and then you're looking at that and maybe your eyes wander over here and I see him texting and then I look at his eyes or his face and then, you know, I look over here and maybe you're then I see the my, camera. Look into my eyes. But what you what are you saying about connecting connecting your viewers' eyes? What you want to do too, and we were talking about angles, and we're getting we're getting a little deeper in the weeds than I wanted to, but that's okay. And we might go into That'll this, happen when you let me talk about things. We might talk more about this too, but when we're shooting B roll, not all B roll is super, super tight. Sometimes it's medium, sometimes it's wide. But you want to change the viewer's eye. You don't want everything to look the same, everything medium, everything tight, everything wide. You want to have a really good mixture of that. That's why we talk about when we're getting shots, wide, medium, tight, wide, medium, tight, wide, medium, tight. That way you have options. So let's move on to the next thing. We also got a question from Red Forest particularly about this. So okay, I guess ahead. we throw it in here. Yeah, jump it. Do we shoot B-roll at 24 FPS always, or do you go to 60 or 120, then convert it down um, if you're not doing any slow-mo shots? Uh, I think that... Like, for what we were just doing, I probably wouldn't shoot much of that in anything but 24 because uh, there just isn't anything moving fast enough to slow motion. No. But, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're sitting in the tree and you're getting B-roll shots and you see a shot that would be cool in slow motion, then then you get that in slow motion. And then maybe you can if... always speed it up if you need to. Yeah, and if in the edit you don't like it and you want to speed it up, then you can. But I don't default to slow motion to speed it up i default to regular unless i see a shot that i know would be interesting in slow motion yeah i shoot i shoot less high speed now than i have i have pretty much every camera we have now will shoot high speed i shoot less high speed footage now than i ever have by far i remember when we first got high speed cameras it's always shot man that'd be cool slow motion slow motion Man, that'd be cool in slow motion, machine slow motion. The more I have it, the less I use it. Well, I think you just get to editing it and you kind of go. Oh, it's so boring. You can, you can see that there's things that are cool in slow motion because they happen quickly. Um, I love kills in slow motion. I shoot as many kills as I can in slow motion. I like those. Those and things moving faster if there's a lot of things happening in the frame. Yeah. Um, or stuff that you just don't really get to ever see in slow motion. Uh, that's pretty cool in slow motion. But there's yeah. also something to be said for... Uh, regular motion. And I just did this on the turkey thing you were talking about. Um, you were talking about how... Wow, my mind just completely ran away from me there. Wow. That'll happen, ADHD. I, I, I watched that leave, too. Like, <laughs> I watched it just leave you. <laughs> ADHD is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, the, the point of my thing was my B-roll for that turkey hunt was handheld and shaky on purpose yeah i added camera shake like i shook the camera while i was filming it because i wanted it to be shaky mm-hmm. um and that's 100 percent the opposite of slow motion yep. slow motion you want it to be smooth silky, and it just silky smooth the the way that scene played out it was so fast and uh 
it was so on the move that I I kind of took a risk with it. Like I when we're in the field, I was kind of like I don't I in my head this works, but in the editing room, I may cause myself a headache. Uh, but I shot the whole thing uh, purposefully like that, and that wouldn't work in slow motion. You have to do that in regular motion because if not, you just don't get that same visceral uh, shaky feeling you get from regular motion just yep. moving the camera around. And it needed to feel chaotic, so you made it chaotic. Mm-hmm. All right, so recapping. We've still got two more to talk about, but number one, no, we got, yeah, two more to talk about. Number one is establishing shots. Number two is talking in the field, how, why, and the better ways to shoot it. Number three was B-roll. And now the fourth one is cutaways. Another thing that we are not getting that is another thing that's like, how do you not get this? It's cutaways. How do you not get cutaways? I guess by not getting them. <sighs> I can understand how you can get in the heat of the moment. And this is all, like I said, this is all coming from Ryan and I editing someone else's footage. And there's nothing more frustrating and nothing I hate more than editing someone else's footage. But when someone shoots an animal, when something significant happens, and you as a producer are filming an animal or a situation happen, and you're not getting all the little details of your hunter or your subject, then we have to go back and recreate those things. Okay, so what are we talking about? The easiest way to explain this is on a hunt. We're going to take a, talk about turkey since it was turkey season. You've got a turkey goblin on the limb. You watch him fly down, and as a producer, I'm following the turkey. I'm on the turkey the whole time. The turkey's on. He's coming in. He's coming in. He comes to decoys. He jumps on the decoys. We tell our hunter to kill him. They kill him. Okay. As a producer, I was on that turkey the whole time. As soon as I saw that turkey, I never left him. My camera was recording the entire time until that turkey was dead on the ground. And then the first thing I do is go to my hunter for reaction. The first thing I do after that hunt, that turkey's dead, is go to my hunter for reaction. Okay. Now, what do I do when my reaction is done? The very next thing that I'm going to do before my hunter gets up to do a recovery is I'm going to shoot cutaways. Why? Because I want the light to be the same. I still want there to be emotion. I want all of those things to still be there. The very next thing is I'm going to shoot cutaways. Some people call them recreates. Some people call them cutaways. I don't care what you call them. You need to get them. All right. Some people have problems with cutaways because they're fake or they're staged or they're whatever. If you don't like fake cutaways, if you don't like recreates, then you better be shooting a second angle camera that gets it live. If you don't, shoot cutaways because... What we are filming, what we are doing is we're telling a story, and what we're doing is entertainment. All of those things that we shot as cutaways happened. We are just telling the best version of the story. If we can't get them live, we still have to get them. That makes me so mad when people don't like to see cutaways because it didn't really happen that way. Yes, it did. I just couldn't film that because I was filming the turkey. You can only film one thing at a time. You can only film one thing at a time, yes. Unless the turkey's you, not like going to be there. Unless you have a second producer. Like when we were in Florida, Clay and I were both shooting, and I had Clay shooting live cutaways. He was on the hunter, and he was on the hunter the entire time. As the turkey's coming in, he films the hunter pull the trigger. So he had live cutaways the whole time. Very rarely does that ever happen. Did you still go do cutaways I after still the fact? Did, I still did cutaways. Yep. 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm never not going to do cutaways. Yeah. So I might have done less cutaways, but I still did them. So what is a cutaway? A cutaway is all the things that happened while you were filming that turkey, all the things your hunter did. There he is. Here he comes. He's on the decoys. Are you ready? I'm going to shoot him. Flipping off the safety, you know, going to the, putting the finger in the trigger guard, tied to the eyes, watching the turkey come in, reaction of how, you know, how the turkey's acting, the calling. Anything that happened while that turkey was coming in, I'm now going to put my camera on my hunter and I'm going to get them to go through everything that happened. Are we going to fake it? Or are we going to embellish it? We're going to try our best to do it as true to what happened as we possibly can. How do we shoot cutaways? We're going to shoot them super tight. We're going to try and do them dynamically, just like we do talking, just like we do B-roll. I like to shoot cutaways handheld. I don't like to put them on a tripod. I like to shoot really tight to the eyes, really tight to the finger flipping off safety or clipping in a release. 
I like to change my angle. I like to, you know, look down the, the you know, the action of the gun to my hunter. I like to rack focus. I like to do all those things that are going to suck you in as a viewer. Now, these clips, when they make the edit, they're going to be maybe three seconds long, some of them shorter than that. But I'm going to have five to 15 different options because now when I have five or 15 cutaway options, if it takes 20 minutes for that turkey to get there to us, guess what? If I have five to 15 cutaway options, I can get that turkey killed in 30 seconds or 30 minutes. I can do it as quickly or as short, you know, or as long as I need it to be. But if I don't have those cutaways, all I'm doing is jump cutting the whole time. And there's no excuse not to get those cutaways. I generally, 90, 95% of the time, my cutaways are tight. Don't try, don't try not to shoot cutaways wide because there's no emotion in that. I mean, and don't be afraid to get in their grill. Like, I'm up on top of Chuck and Brian and people when I'm shooting cutaways. I mean, I'm in their face. I regularly have, like, especially with bow hunting, which I guess is what we do 90% of the time. Yeah. I will regularly have people's arms or, like, a release or something hit me or the camera as yeah. they're as they're pulling up or drawing back yeah. just because I'm so into the camera, and yeah. I have this shot that I want, and I can't see where that lens is, and I'm so close that it just – it gets right, hit and a little you bit. only have one eye, so you have to really. Well, I got two it. eyes, but they go like this. So. <laughs> I had to do that. I'm sorry. Uh, but the 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 point the point of that is, I'm so I'm so close to them that I regularly am just hitting them with the camera, basically. Yeah. Oh, I've had that, that happen many times. I mean, that happens all the time. All the time. But especially with B rolls and cutaways, because there's no and try this. This is a fun little experiment. Go and shoot something where I'm this far zoomed in and getting that, you know, the same exact shot except for I'm zoomed in. Then shoot the same, get right up in his face and do it. The emotion and the feeling is completely different. Yeah. Because the camera is that close. When you zoom in, it changes the entire feel of that shot. Mm -hmm. And you can't explain that. Um, and you can only kind of feel it when you watch it, but it's a, a whole different emotion when the camera is actually literally right in their face. Yep. Um, and again, that's this is another place where I like to do those dynamic shots where you go from one thing to the other, you know, like where you say, okay, I'm going to kill him. So when he says that, I might be on his face, or I've done a couple of these, and they worked out kind of cool, just like right on their mouth, only their mouth. You can only see their mouth there, and they're like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. And then, you know, as they say that, I'm going to kill him, you pan down and then have them flipping the safety off. Yep. That usually takes some direction. Usually what has to happen is you have to go, okay, this is a shot I'm going to do. I'm going to pan from your face to you flipping off the safety. Don't flip off the safety until I say go. Mm -hmm. I want you to say this line, and then when I say go, flip off the safety. So let them say the line, start panning. When I get the safety in frame, then I say go, and then they do it. And you just have to cut out you saying go mm -hmm. in the B-roll. Yup. But that's so, where those dynamic shots come into play. And there's just watch a good hunting show. Watch any good piece of content that's going to have to have recreation. And watch how they shot it. Don't take what we're saying as gospel. Do your own research. But most of everything out there sucks. So get in people's luck. face with the camera. Yeah, don't be afraid to get in there. Do tight. it. Don't do be, it. And don't be afraid to ask people to do things over. Don't be afraid to, if you have an idea, to speak your mind and voice your opinion. Make sure that if you have an idea that you see it through. And most of the time they suck. You know, you'll go through and you'll do something like, yeah, didn't like it. But at least you tried it. Rather have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. Last, last but not least is transitions. So we've talked about transitions. What is a transition? It is any shot any shot that can get me from day to day, day to night, place to place, hunt to hunt, anything that gets me subconsciously from one late location or time to another location or time. Okay, so some examples. Okay, we're going to go hunting, and we're going to have to drive to the stand. Well, in one shot, how do I get from camp to the stand? 
we get a shot of a, a GoPro shot of riding the Ranger down the road. That's transitions. How do we get from day to night? A night lapse that comes up with the next shots, the sun rising. We didn't have to say, well, the next day or we're going to go, you know, we're waiting until the next morning. That night lapse of the stars tells me it's nighttime. Make sure you're getting shots that get you from one place to the other. There's there's no one one perfect example of what a transition shot is. And there's a lot of times that you can repurpose shots as transition shots. But you've got to consciously go into the field, into your shooting situation, and know, okay, I've got to get from point A to point B. How can I get one shot that tells that story? It's a driving shot. Boom, get that. It's a night lapse. Boom, get that. It's a walking, you know, walking away shot. Boom, get that. It's a walking towards me shot. Boom, get that. It's tires rolling down the road. Get that. It's a, a day lapse that passes time. Get that. There's no, there's no right, right or wrong way to get transitions. Just know when you go to edit and you need to spend, say nothing happens between day three and day six, you know, you have a terrible time. Say you're there for seven days. First three days are great. Day four and day five sucked. But you kill on day seven. And we're not going to edit everything in day four and five because you're just wasting your time. Well, what are ways that I can virtually skip from day three to day five? Well, I can say it in voiceover, yeah. I can say it in an interview, yeah. Or I can do a long day lapse that transitions into a night lapse that gets me right into day five. I can do it with text. I can do it with so many different ways but I would rather you show me than tell me. Thoughts on transitions? If it's something that you would say, get a shot of it. Yeah, I guess that would be a simpler way of putting it. Yeah, if it's something you would say, if there's a way that you can get a shot to take away from something you would say, then get this, get the shot. I think you should say it as well if it's in the field, not in, not in voiceover or interviews. If it's something that you can say in the field, but you can also get a shot of it, I would rather you use the shot than the top. Well, I just guess it de- depends on the situation. just depends on the edit, but gen- you don't have to. If you do a s- uh, sunset time lapse, I mm-hmm. mean, or you don't a, have to say it have to the day ended. It doesn't even have to be a time lapse. It can just be a shot of the sun going down. Yeah, three second shot of the sun going down. I mean, that's a transition shot. Yeah, with that a fade to black that, at the end. That tells so me the easy. day's ending or the day's beginning. You know, if it's a sunrise or sunset, just depends on where you put it in the edit. Yeah, I think you just always want to show what you tell and tell what you show. Yep. So that's transitions. Um, to go over everything again, establishing shots, talking in the field, and we talked about how to shoot that. B-roll, cutaways, and transitions. Those are the five things that will make your hunting filming better. That's not the only things. Those are just the easiest ones. Those are the you know the very basics and bare bones. Do a good job with those five things and kill some stuff and, you, and, and learn how to edit, and you'll have a really, really solid product on your hand. On your hands. Sorry, plural, hands. So that is... That's all I got for the podcast. Now you want to do some questions? Have we gotten any questions? Do we need to ask for questions? Yeah. Do you want to do it on the podcast or you want to do it YouTube live exclusive? We'll do YouTube live exclusive and we're going to do another one tomorrow. So uh, on the road again. On the road again. It'll be on bad. Instagram though because we're going to be driving because we on can't the YouTube road stream. Again. There we go. That's better. Okay. That was the right tune. Yeah, that was. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, um, all right. We're going to end the podcast. Um but if you're on YouTube Live, don't leave because yeah. we are sticking around to do your to hang out. Yes, and if we have some good ones, we'll put them on the next podcast or whatever. But uh, if you uh, enjoyed the podcast, guys, please spread the word. Um, we've got a couple new people trickling in that are liking it and they're talking to us about it. Always feel free to ask questions. That's what we're here for. 
Um, make sure to rate, review, leave us a comment. Um, and it's like I said, tell someone about it. Um, but you know, if you review us on iTunes, it helps get the word out to some more people that might need some help as well. Um, we all know that the industry needs a definitely a kick in the butt real, real bad. So the more new blood that gets in here, the better it's going to get for everybody. And uh, we're about promoting the the business of outdoor content creation versus just ourselves. So um, make sure you do that. Uh, if you have somebody you want us to talk to, let us know. If you have really anything that you think that we should know about or talk about or have an opinion on, let us know because we've got an opinion on a lot of stuff. Good, bad, or indifferent, we have opinions. A lot so, of opinions. Um, we are working on a big project. When we get a signed contract, we will let you guys know what that is. Um, and we are... Blue Stem is coming out soon. I don't think it's actually going to air now until August. I oh, talked, man. I talked to the Mossy Oak Go guys yesterday, and they're not going to start airing waterfowl blocks until August, very beginning of August. So uh, that one's going to, I mean, that one will get done. Well, I mean, I thought it would be done and out by now, but hadn't happened yet. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. You got anything else? No. Sweet. Peace, guys.